Okay. Is it on? Okay, there's a riddle. And then you should be sitting at table with people, hopefully. So that way you can, uh, we'll have like little discussion questions and your table can be your discussion group. Okay, the riddle. First, the uh, riddle is, uh, which chapter in the Bible is lost? It's a riddle. I'm not going to explain that <laughs> detail. No. Good guess, though. Lost. It's a it's a playful riddle. It's not like a theological. Uh... John. Not John. Why do you say? Yes. Luke 15. Why Luke 15? uh-huh and then the lost son like today right today's gospel the lost son the prodigal son so you know it's just a fun riddle luke chapter 15 it's not actually you know you get it, it's a riddle <laughs> okay let's um so we just read today the third week of lent right the prodigal son so in your little table in your small group i have three questions uh, because the goal of today's talk is to talk a little bit about spiritual apathy, spiritual laziness. And it's kind of a loaded term, spiritual apathy or just apathy in general. So in your small group, I have three questions for you. The first is, um, which character do you feel like you connect with the most in the story of the prodigal son? So just think about that. And then... Um, what does the word apathy mean? Just definition. No looking at your phones. You can, you know, talk amongst yourselves and then give a synonym, like a, another word for apathy. Okay. Just to think about different attributions of what, the, what apathy means. Okay. So three questions. Who's your favorite character in the story of the prodigal son? What does the word apathy mean? And give another word for apathy, a synonym for apathy. Okay. We have like four or five minutes. Just discuss in your little groups. Yeah, right now. In your little table. What? I'm <laughs> <laughs> 
Two, two minutes more, just two minutes. You ready? Okay. Anybody want to say who their favorite character was from the story? Too much, too little time. You need more time. Who needs more time? Raise your hand. Oh, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Another two minutes. Yeah. Another character. There's another character, which is no, which is really the other character. Okay, you ready? Actually, there's a really nice book. Because I heard in a group over there that nobody ever asked me what's my favorite character in this parable before. And there's a very nice book by a Catholic writer. He passed away, I think, a few years ago. Henri Nguyen. Anybody heard of Henri Nguyen? Anyways, fantastic Catholic author. And one of his best books, in my opinion, is called The Prodigal Son. And he goes through character by character each story in the parable. And it's a very beautiful meditation on the prodigal son, if you're interested. 
It's very good for the Lent, by the way, too. Anything that he writes is probably good for Lent. But anyways, anybody want to volunteer favorite character and why? Well, who, who raise your hand if it's uh, the prodigal son, the younger son that you want to identify with or your favorite person in the story? Most people, right? Yeah. What about older brother? Okay. Other characters? Who? What other characters? Anybody else? The father. Of course, the father. Very good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. His market friends, like the people that he was doing prodigal living with. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then, uh, okay. And then the question was, what is apathy? Very good. Okay. A lack of interest. What does the word apathy mean itself? Where does it come from? Like the origin. A, you know, A means not. And pathy is like emotion, right? Or feelings. So the Greek word is mean, it means no feelings or no emotion. So you're indifferent is another way of saying it. Any other definitions? Lukewarm is another way of thinking about it. Neither hot nor cold, just sort of like, I don't care. Right. It's different than I think I heard you guys talking a little bit about apathia, probably, is I think what I might have overheard a little bit over here, which is a slightly different word. That means like dispassionate, not lack of emotion, but being dispassionate or being stoic. You might have heard of that as well. That's different than being, you know, having apathy. Being dispassionate might be a good thing, actually. When you read a book like the Philokalia, the, the Philokalia, the, it means a uh, love of beauty. It's like this compilation of monastic reflections and stories. They talk a lot about being dispassionate and being very monastic, right? That's different than being apathetic, right? So, okay, and synonyms, other synonyms that came out? Very good. Disconnected. That's excellent. Excellent. What else? Yesterday, my son is almost four years old. There was other kids around, and uh, they said something like, I want my, my drawing back or something like that. And he gave him the, the piece of paper back, and he said, whatever. And he's like four years old. We never say that word in the house. So obviously, he got it from school, right? And I was like, that's not polite. We don't say whatever. But apathy is kind of like whatever. Right. Or if you're like writing it with memes and stuff like that on your text, it'd be like M-E-H, right? Like meh, right? Kind of thing. Like, did you guys say that over there? Yeah, that's what that's kind of what it is. Or the attitude of like, so what? No big deal. What's the difference? It's all the same, anyways. All of that is kind of apathy. Um, another way of saying it is it could be true for you. That's your truth, and I have my truth. Right, that's a kind of another way of thinking about it. Um, it's all good; anything goes. All that is kind of like I don't care. It's all indifferent. Whatever, whatever happens, happens. No big deal. There's not really any direction. You sort of go with the flow. All of that is really apathy. And we have that obviously in our spiritual lives. And it's important, I think, to define this in detail because unless you really know what you're battling against, you're not going to have any success. 
So unless you really know what this means, you're not going to know how to overcome it. So I think defining it is very, very important. And spiritual apathy is a huge part of our spiritual lives. Or laziness is another way of thinking about it too. And especially if you guys are doing these talks about crucifying the passions and it's the Holy Lent, like it's important to know what are the sins that we actually have and possess. Otherwise, how can you confess it unless you can define it? So, in fact, it is really our duty to sort of be against apathy. It's our duty to help. It is your responsibility to save others. Sometimes we take that sort of backseat and say, that's not really my thing. I'll believe by myself. You know, I'll go to church, focus on me, right? And my spiritual life. But actually it is your duty to be a helper, to be a savior, to be the father in the story. That's your duty. In, the Pro- in Proverbs, it says, if, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? Like, won't you be judged, basically? It is your duty to deliver those who are drawn towards death. You know, I, I teach at the, at, a, at the med school, at UCLA Med School. And uh, sometimes the students have these sort of conflicting, like, responsibilities. Like, they feel like, well, I think that a patient should be doing this and this and this. And really, like, it's not about you as the doctor. It's about your patient, right? They even use language that's very sort of like doctor-centered and instead of like being very patient-centered. Like they'll say, for example, how many of you when you're at the doctors, the doctor will say, uh, I need you to stand up for me. Um, could you take off your shirt for me so I can listen to your heart? It's very subtle. But they insert the for me. Do this for me. This is what I need instead of it being sort of patient-centered. Does that make sense? Their language needs to be focused on the patient. The patient is the focus. They're the goal. Their improvement is sort of, we meet them where their needs are, et cetera. It's not about like my medical knowledge and my understanding. It's about what does the patient need at this current time in in place. So yeah, it's sort of um, focusing more outside of you and focusing on others. It's interesting, right? Because it almost makes apathy almost a very proudful sort of self-centered issue and being the opposite of apathetic would be actually less self-centered, right? It's a little bit interesting. And if you think about apathy, who is being devalued when you are being sort of whatever, when you're being meh, when you're being sort of, you know, you don't care about anything. Who is being devalued in that scenario? Does the question make sense? Absolutely. Others, like the patients. You're devaluating, devaluing other people in your life. Absolutely. So if I was in a relationship, me and my wife, and she was like, oh, I don't know, you know, which baptism like dress should I buy for Sophia? Because Sophia's going to get baptized in a couple of weeks. And I'm like, I don't care. Get whatever you want. How does that come across? I don't really value her opinion, what's important to her, what things are like really like important in our lives right now. And I don't care. That would be really bad if I devalued her in that way. And I just didn't care about what's important to her. It's not good. 
right? So you're devaluing the other people around you. Who else do you devalue when you don't care? Say again. Family. family. Absolutely. Your family, your friends, your neighbors, everybody that you have a relationship with, you're devaluing those other people. Think outside of others. What other groups are there? Who other people are there in the story of the prodigal? Who did the prodigal son devalue? Absolutely, himself. That's a great one. When you are apathetic, you are also underestimating your own worth. So you underestimate the worth of people around you. You underestimate your own worth. And who else did he devalue right in the beginning of the story? God. So you're devaluing God. You're devaluing yourself. And you're devaluing others when you have this sort of whatever attitude. All those people, and it's a cascade. And if I had to sort of put it in order, I would say the first thing that happens in the story is he devalues God. That's the first place that we have this sort of apathy towards. And then the cascade after that, the problem that ensues when you devalue God, you devalue other people around you. And then the last stage is you devalue yourself as well. In that order, I think. But first thing is you devalue the importance of God. You're apathetic towards spiritual life and the afterlife and God and his involvement in your life. That has huge consequences for you and everybody else around you. There's a very nice book called um, Man's Search for Meaning. Has anybody read it? By Viktor Frankl, who is not a Christian. I know I'm sort of giving you all these books that are like not orthodox, right? Henri Nguyen first. But Viktor Frankl was Jewish. And he was a Holocaust survivor. It was something like uh, he was in uh, what's the big the big concentration camp Auschwitz. He was in Auschwitz, and you know one in two thousand people survived Auschwitz, so he survived Auschwitz, and he was there for like five or six years. And when he entered Auschwitz, he was already a psychiatrist. He was a, a doctor. He was a psychiatrist, and after he left, he had this whole theory about meaning, even in the most dire circumstances. And so one of the things that he says is those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. Does that make sense? When you have this purpose, you can deal with almost any circumstance. Basically, the last place that you have control is yourself. What you're passionate towards, what your purpose is, what your goals are. You have control over those things, regardless of what's going on around you. Every day he was threatened with death in the most horrific ways and his family and his friends and everybody he knew, but he still found that there was a percentage of people there that had this strong sort of purpose. They found sense or meaning in life. And that's our responsibility to sort of find that purpose, to find that value, that spiritual purpose. It's the focus on the afterlife. It's the focus on God. It's the focus on our future, on our why, quote unquote, on our why. It's very, very important. St. John Chrysostom, actually, this is an Orthodox one, kind of, if you think St. John Chrysostom. Yeah, finally. Yeah, exactly. St. John Chrysostom, this is uh, from his book. uh, Sorry, it's from the book, The Gospel Commentaries. It's like an Orthodox Christian uh, commentary on the lectionary of the church, right? On like the, the Sunday lectionaries of the church. And on his commentary on the prodigal son, he says that there are three types of people. The way the reason that any of us do something is we have three motivations. 
Why does the slave follow the commandment of whoever, of the slave owner? Why does the slave listen? He's scared. He's scared that if he doesn't listen, he's going to get beaten up or he'll get, you know, killed or whatever. He's scared. He's a slave. What about the, the laborer? The worker? Good. Either he'll get fired or he wants a reward. He wants money. He does the job so he can get a reward. That's why he listens. And why does the son listen? He loves. He has the commandment in front of him that he loves and he wants to please the father or the mother, whoever. The, he wants to please the person that he loves. Three different ways of, of listening, of three different ways of sort of being obedient to the commandments. And then the other thing that you notice when you have this sort of apathy towards God, and especially even with the story of the prodigal son, what happens is you find that you value the creation more than the Right? We've all heard that before. You value the creation rather than the person who created it, the creator. And this is essential with our sort of understanding of our place in relationship to God. It's essential for you to realize that whenever you're seeing beautiful things around you, good things around you, whenever you think about the future, all of that is tied in with our natural connection with God the Father, with God generally. This is always known in human history, even as far back when you look at like Plato, Plato had these ideal forms. Do you guys, anybody take philosophy classes, you know, the intro to philosophy that you always study Plato? What was that? A long time ago. But he had these, yeah, your grandkids. Yeah. And Plato had these, this whole thing about like the, the forms, the essential forms. There is this form of beauty. And it's almost an inherent proof of God's existence that there should be this ideal of what beauty is, of what goodness is. And it's sort of our job to meditate on those beautiful things. Descartes had the same thing. He had like the three or four proofs of God's existence. And one of them them is that perfection exists. The idea of perfection exists in our mind. What could have possibly placed this idea of perfection except for something perfect that exists, that actually is? And so it's your responsibility to actually focus and meditate on the creation being a work of God's hand. So instead of saying, like, I'm just going to enjoy what I have now, you need to focus on, like, I see what I have now. This is a gift, and I'm thankful for it. And that elevates you beyond, like, whatever. I'm just here. I'm I'm enjoying what I've got, and that's all I've got to do. Live my life YOLO, right, right now. Whatever happens, happens right now. But no. Your job is to be a vigorous thinker. And it creates this really the spirit of thanksgiving when you actually give glory to the creator. It overcomes a sort of apathy. Okay. And then we said apathy devalues God and God's like impact in our lives and in this world. And then it apathy impacts our relationship with other people. Obviously, you guys all know this. However, I also want to draw the like attention to our society nowadays is extremely spiritually apathetic. This is the whole like nihilism thing where God is dead kind of thing where now religion is dead. God is dead. And so what gets elevated instead is politics, personal preferences, all the sort of like your truth is not my truth kind of language. All of that stems from this sort of spiritual apathy. We just don't care and nobody cares to stop it. You don't have enough of like, we don't have enough of like 
motivation to say, no, that's not true. This is false information. And who suffers? Our kids suffer, our society suffers, et cetera. Now, everybody that's a parent here is debating probably, should I put my kid in public school or private school? Am I right? Because of like this whole like education about transgenderism and like there is no biological sex, doesn't matter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So now you're like, should I have my kid in, in regular public school when they're facing all this stuff in our society? This is a result of us sort of, it's a downstream effect of us just saying, I don't care. I'm not going to get involved. I'll, I'll lay back and like you guys, you know, whatever you want to do is fine. It's not good. You actually have this like commandment to get involved. Any comments on that? I know it's like a charged topic. Any thoughts? I wonder what Seal Beach is like. Los Alameda School District is good. Yeah, yeah. It was different. Even twenty, even ten years ago, five years ago, it was very different. And she would have and after the and after the like the I mean, that would be ideal if we were able to actually get public schools to to do it the right way for everybody. So we weren't forced to do this. Yes. Absolutely. So I think um, there's a fine line that we should get about in terms of, of forgiveness and meekness versus, um, versus being upset. Absolutely. And we should not confuse the two. Yes. Being forgiving is not the same thing as blinding ourselves. And we shouldn't be doing one and we should be doing the other. It is a fine line. And I think sometimes we fool ourselves, we lie to ourselves, we make it easy for ourselves, and we're like, 
you know, I'm not going to get into it. I'm a forgiving person. You know, I'm Christian. I don't want to create conflict. It's not the right environment to have these conversations, etc. And so we just stay silent when a lot of these things are happening. Yeah. Well, no, I think that generally speaking, our Lord is a lot more stringent on believers than he is on unbelievers. That's, I mean, the story of, and it happens over and over again. I'm not saying that Christians are at fault for, you know, things that are happening in the world. However, some people would say that, like, you know, there's this quote, the only thing necessary for evil to happen is for good people to stay silent, right? A JFK quoted that, misquoted some Irish poets saying this sort of thing. But like, you know, so I'm not saying Christians are at fault for like murderers happening. But I am saying that if Christians don't speak up when bad things are happening, that is a problem. Where do we fit? And like, um, you know, I am not, it's good that we just think about this subject. I'm not saying that you have to be like John the Baptist and die for your beliefs, you know, and have your head cut off. You know, our Lord Christ was very soft-spoken. And he had multiple times to create a political insurrection. He didn't do that. That's not what our Lord did. So, so there, but there are multiple examples. And just thinking about where you lie and that you are not apathetic is important. Yeah. So you're not sitting idly by is important. And having spiritual apathy isn't not having spiritual apathy is important. And then, you know, so first we said apathetic towards God, apathetic towards others, and then now, now apathetic towards ourselves or devaluing ourselves. Interestingly, I think that this sort of happens very gradually and slowly, and it's a huge, like, spiritual, like, uh, depression that sort of happens here. When sort of ongoing for so long, you get this huge spiritual sort of, like, you know, cavern slump that you get into, like the prodigal son. You know, at one point, basically a servant of the devil and feeding with swine. Like, I mean, like it was bad. And it was at that low that he finally said he remembered what it was like to be in his father's house. And thank goodness he remembered and he came back. But that's sort of what happens when we sort of on have this process of continuing, continuing, ignoring our spiritual health, our spiritual life. Eventually, that's where it leads. And I'll tell you, there's actually some recent uh, literature I read, medical literature about depression. It was about the self, you know, the I language. You guys have probably heard this stuff. People say things like, I'm going to focus on myself right now. I'm just going to take some me time, right? I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to get out of this situation, just focus on me and getting myself better and, and putting myself in a better place so I can help others, right? The sort of me language though. In these studies, they're looking at how often people use the words I and me and sort of like, you know, first person sort of stuff in their language with other people. 
And they're realizing that people that have depression are way, way, way more likely to use the sort of I language than people that are not depressed. It's not that they're narcissistic or selfish, but they are so focused on themselves alone that they, they get you have left is like void of like your meditation on God and serving all you. Yeah. It is a cycle. You're right. It is a cycle. And it's very tough to break these sort of negative cycles. And it's also, I think a trick from the devil as well. You have no hope and you're alone are like the two huge weapons that he uses you are hopeless and you're alone and that's what depression is and that's sort of this i language and if we see it happening it's not to say that like you shouldn't be using i language what i'm saying is you should be realizing sort of the internal workings of who you are your spiritual life and realize that you need to focus outside of yourself most of spiritual warfare when we read all these theological books is two things how great god is and how weak i am you, you can't have one without the other. When you realize God's greatness, you realize how weak you are. Uh, one other way of, 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 this, of uh, saying this, I heard a talk by Buddha Anthony Mesa from D.C. a long time ago, and he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less or less often, if you want to make it clear. It's thinking of yourself less often. And so that's what happens. Absolutely. It's very common. And some of it is like a medical issue. Some of it is a, you know, chemistry issue, but some of it is spiritual. Absolutely. And, but, but if you look at the Bible, the prodigal son, when he was, feeding in the, with the swine, I would say that he was depressed. I would say he was suffering from depression, spiritual depression, overall depression. That was, he was going through that too. And all of us, part of recognizing, you know, improving your spiritual health is also recognizing when you're going through these slumps. It's important. And it's life-saving, obviously. I'm sorry. It shouldn't happen to anybody, especially if somebody is reaching out when they've got issues with depression, spiritual depression, you know, regular, ordinary, you know, the type of depression that we should be seeing doctors and therapists for. We shouldn't be going through the shaming process, just like the prodigal son. What was the response when he finally admitted it? Who did he admit it to? And obviously the reception that he got was amazing. And that's how it should be when somebody has that issue and they come to you with this problem. So, okay, a discussion question then. Another, we're almost done, but another discussion question in, in your table by your, you know, in your groups. The question is, because the whole point here of recognizing apathy is that we want to move into how do we stay spiritually motivated? How do we get away from apathy? So in your little groups, what methods can we use to stay sort of motivated? 
how do we stay spiritually motivated? Okay. So like four or five minutes, just discussing your tables.